Hey, what's up? It's Kat. You're listening to Nothing Good Happens at 3am. We've been in quarantine for over a year now and thank God for vaccines because I have been itching to travel outside of the country for months. For real though, please, please get vaccinated and let's get this herd immunity ball rolling. Now, what you're going to hear next is a conversation I had with April. She's been a self-claimed nomad for three years now, and she's been living off of her suitcase and working from her laptop. She has been traveling the world nonstop, and honestly, I'm just lucky I got to have this call with her. I mean, it was right before she left for another place. So here we go. It's 3 a.m., and... I'm staring at my passport. I just messaged Josa one night and asked her if she knew anyone who traveled a lot. And she said, oh, wow, maybe April's game. <laughs> and then there you are. <laughs> yeah. And she asked me in the middle of my my pre-vacation vacation pass. <laughs> so tell us April like um what do you do and where are you really from? <laughs> well where I'm really from is the Philippines. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm proudly Pinay, um born and raised in the Philippines. Um but now I I live in Iraq in the Kurdistan region that's the northern Iraq. Um, and I work two jobs. For the first job, I am the managing director for the Middle East for an innovations consultancy firm called Embigen Consulting. So we focus on innovative solutions for emerging markets. And then my second job, which is what actually <laughs> why I need to be in Iraq, is that I work with a mine action organization that works to clear mines in post-war areas, so places like Mosul, for example, where people need to have a safe space to live again. Like this is like one of the main reasons why like I end up living in weird places now. <laughs> but we can talk about that later. Yeah, I was gonna ask you that. Like is that what dragged you into all of these countries? <laughs> like it's your job primarily. Um, well, it's not my job. Um, I only started doing this in Iraq, but my my fiance he's been working in in that sector for since the very beginning, 2014, 2015. He's been in this sector for a long time, and um, after he wrapped up in Mindanao, he would get assigned to different countries around the world. While I was still in Manila running my travel company, when we realized that I could just work with my laptop, <laughs> you know, like every other digital nomad. So that's when like, um, I decided that I would just pick up and follow wherever he goes because I can just do my thing anywhere that he is. I love how it all worked out. And how oh, yeah. flexible your job is actually. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing when you make up your jobs. <laughs> like if you don't have a traditional like nine to five where people expect you to be in a certain place all the time, 
then the world of opportunities suddenly op- opens up. For me, I think like as long as I have my laptop and a nice view, I'm fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my god, I love it because I think a lot of people in their twenties they would always say like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna save up to travel." Or some of the people who I know who've gotten married would say that we don't want to have kids because we want to travel first. Like there's so much places we haven't been to and a lot of the world that we have yet to see yeah. and experience. But then I was thinking about all of these things and wondering like, where do people get stumped? Like, what keeps them from doing these things? It, it's definitely not home. Like, um, the Philippines, it, it's not unusual to travel. I just thought, um, maybe it's work. And it, isn't that mm-hmm. just the irony of it? Like, you save up to travel, but you don't travel. Like, the plans just end up becoming plans, and you never really do mm-hmm. buy the ticket. Well, I think it boils down to a person's vision for themselves. I mean, not everybody grows up wanting to see the world, right? Like some people, a lot of people, they're perfectly happy being in their in their bubble. And that's perfectly fine. Nothing that I ever imagined for myself. Of course, I want to someday um, settle down and have kids and have the whole shebang. But then I also feel like the world is too big to stay in one place. And so I'd rather take the hassle of being somewhere unfamiliar than be in a place where I've been all my life. So I love history. (laughs) I grew up reading encyclopedias upon encyclopedias and tracing the stories of all these ancient people, trying like wondering what makes things what they are. And then to understand that you have the opportunity today to actually be there, to see it in front of your eyes or be in a place where somebody that you read about, you can be in that same place where they stood and kind of understand to a very minute degree how things must have been before. And this started in 2018. My very intentionally nomadic lifestyle started in 2018 but because I've been in the travel industry for a very long time like I started in the travel industry since I was in in college um so I took up tourism at in UP um and when when I dropped out I took a job with a travel agency and that enabled me to travel to adventure destinations around the Philippines so um fun fact i i really made a promise to myself very early on that that i would travel the philippines first and know my country better than any foreigner ever would maybe it's because i love the philippines maybe it's cuz i'm also a bit competitive and when <laughs> when a backpacker tells me that they were somewhere that i've never been by <laughs> excuse me it's a weird feeling if somebody tells you something about your country that you haven't done yeah that you didn't know about especially for you you're in the tourism industry (laughs) yeah so it it really was my intention very early on to travel the philippines so that i would know it more and then do what i could 
I've been to 71, no, 75 of the 81 provinces in the Philippines. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I think that's that's the thing that a lot of people struggle with, like having the time and money to do things. Because let's face it, like most people live to work, whether it's to sustain themselves or to find validation. And I think like a lot of people get trapped in, in in that rat race, just trying to prove themselves, prove themselves uh, that they forget to fill their own cups and venture out, do something that enriches them. And it's a vicious cycle to be in. When I figured out that the cost of living in Manila <laughs> is pretty high. <laughs> so like, for example, a month in Manila can get me a month in um, in Thailand Two, three months in, three months in India, two months in, uh, even three months in Vietnam, or a month in Turkey. Because I took out all of my expenses from being at home. So and I spend everything on being just, just being. Like you don't when you travel, you don't have to be doing something all the time and sightseeing and eating all the eating all the food, doing all the things. Sometimes it's just like chilling and being somewhere <laughs> somewhere different what do you what's the goal for you like when you get into a new place do you try to explore it a bit or just to familiarize yourself as much as the locals have so like there's a whole tourist versus traveler thing and i like to be both i like to be a tourist first because i want to see the highlights i want to see everything that people are proud of and then only then when I have like a, a, a pretty good background of then I can be like the whole tra- quote unquote traveler person that just like, you know, okay, I'm here. <laughs> let, let let me be a local. Because you'll never be local. You're you'll always be taking like different perspectives and just trying to interpret what what you think <laughs> you're seeing. It's hard to live like a local because we all have our comfort zones. I mean, when I was in Tajikistan, I wasn't going to live like a local. Living like a local is hard there, you know? <laughs> like, they live in, like, if you go out of the city um, to some of the places that we went, man, they live in mud brick houses Mm-mm. in, like, very dry areas up the mountain. They have to go out, harvest their, harvest the hay that they're going to burn have the donkey and, and <laughs> have the donkey carrying the, the hay to the house to, and then harvest whatever they want to eat for the day. It's 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 very hard. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna pretend that I can do that. <laughs> there was a time like a kid wanted to give me give me a watermelon and he went to his garden got it but then he had a hard time picking it up so I tried to pick it up but it was a freaking watermelon it's very heavy <laughs> I couldn't do it <laughs> you know but I love that he tried <laughs> I feel like a lot of people listening right now and having trouble sleeping are just gonna want to as I said like live through all of these things vicariously through you <laughs> because mm-hmm. we can't really go out right now but I guess um, just to like backtrack a bit, how many countries exactly have you gone to? Like if you could just give us a ballpark figure. I've probably been to about, give or take, 26 countries. 
I've only lived in a, a handful. So like I've I've done like a, a month in a month in the US, a month in in India, in Thailand, in Turkey, ten months in in Tajikistan, and then so far seven months in Iraq. <laughs> and that's just in three years, right? Yeah, that's just in the past three years. Honestly, like if you're willing to live in a suitcase, why not, right? Like it it works out. I mean, everywhere has good internet, or at least like as good as Manila. <laughs> of the seven places, which is the hardest one you had to adjust to? Um, let's see. <laughs> Funny enough, I think the one that I really had to adjust to was the U.S. Because, <laughs> so, on the surface, the U.S. was hard for me because I was coming from Asia, you know, from a from a place, like, I, I was coming from Central Asia, a place where I had my group of friends, and that was all I had. <laughs> so, <laughs> where you can, like, pretty much walk the entire city, the capital city, in, in an hour or an hour and a half. Mm, like it was okay. a small, like Tajikistan is a beautiful country. They don't have that much in terms of commercialization and development that we're used to. So, you know, I, I that's where I learned how to cook and clean and do everything because I couldn't go to a restaurant to eat what I wanted to eat. Okay. And I couldn't go to a grocery to get what I needed to cook things that I was familiar with. So, and then I come to the U.S. where everything, everything is there. I mean, I don't think a lot of people would say that. <laughs> like, um, I don't think a lot of people would say the U.S. was such a huge adjustment for me because they had huge grocery stores. And I was used to just like getting food from the ground and just making everything from scratch. Like that was weird for me. Like why was it pre-made? <laughs> But okay, let's be real. The, 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 the real hard one. <laughs> yeah. The real hard adjustment was Iraq. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. It's in the middle of the pandemic. But then, you know, like every few months, a rocket is fired at the, at the airport. And I can see it happening from my window, from my balcony. First, the anxiety sets in like, oh my gosh, there's an attack on the airport. It's so close. I can see it. And then... Then you just numb out and then you go like, good thing I wasn't there. And I love how the virus is the least of your concerns <laughs> when you were yeah, in Iraq. Yeah. It was the rockets. No, it's it's the least of my concerns. Honestly, like when Pope Francis visited Iraq, I never, oh, right. I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that I ha- I would have to come to Iraq to see the Pope. Yeah, or that he would follow you there. I mean, like, you're that important, Abram. Exactly. Abra. exactly. He would, very considerate, Pope Francis. <laughs> but yeah, like when I was there, it was like an open air stadium, and it was just packed with people. They tell you to wear masks, but then they take it off. So this is a very profound moment from that visit, from that Pope visit that I really need to share. I was there alone with like strangers, and so you know, I just like wanted to like strike a conversation with the random people and so i was asking like why 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 do you why is this pope visit 
so important to you that you would brave Corona? Because like one of the guys that I was um, I was talking to, he had not left his house for a year, which is very, very rare for somebody there. The guy was like, I've lost my family, my friends to conflicts in the past, whether from from war past wars past or from um the more recent thing happening with ha- that happened with ISIS and then now corona like he's lost so much of his family and friends that he just has to be happy right now like he finds that happiness that glimmer of hope from being in the presence of god of god's representative on earth and here i am complaining that i'm stuck here I don't know. There are just some universal truths that still ring true wherever you are, I guess. Like, if it had been here, maybe someone was saying the same thing, but in a different context. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a question for you. Yeah, sure. Where were you when you realized that the coronavirus is a big thing? Something you should be afraid of. <laughs> mm, right. Well, um, I was working in the newsroom. So we've been monitoring the virus since November of 2019. And mm-hmm. uh, this is going to sound horrible, but I was actually making bets with other people. <laughs> this is going to turn into oh a pandemic. Gosh. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm maybe not the best person to ask. I'm pretty callous, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was fully aware of the gravity of the pandemic and what was about to happen. Where was it for you? Like, was it in an airport? (laughs) Worse. So one of the reasons why I was very happy about moving to Tajikistan was because they had opened their direct flights from Tajikistan to Delhi, which meant that it would be a very short flight for me to well, two flights for me to get to Delhi and then to Rishikesh, where I lived in India like years back. Right. So Rishikesh is like a, a holy city in India. That's where yoga was born. Every year in March, they have like the gurus come come and have their like preaching sessions. Well, it's not really a preaching session. It's like it's so it's called satsang. It's an oppor- the opportunity of people and their followers to ask them questions and then they answer like one big fireside chat and then okay. <laughs> after I'd moved to Tajikistan I wanted to go there to India and then from India you know I was just like oh, I think it's gonna be a good thing to go back home for like maybe two weeks because <laughs> flights from India were not that expensive so so two weeks in india two weeks in two weeks in manila okay and i had set it up so perfectly so perfectly so i would go to that march yeah 2020 so i go i go to rishikesh i sit in a satsang um and it's this guru called muji baba like he's one of the most prominent gurus in in the world like people go nuts over him and i just wanted to know what the the hullabaloo is about because like i didn't know who he was until like i got there 
<laughs> there were like 2,000 people in that, in what I could only describe as a warehouse with a makeshift stage. <laughs> okay. So um, I was there in the middle of that 2,000 person crowd. Right. Shoulder to shoulder with people. And then the one of the guys on his t- on the organizing team goes to the mic and says, "Attention, everybody! There is a coronavirus spreading across the world. It's come out of China, and if you're experiencing any symptoms, if you have a cold, a cough, any any bit of feeling uncomfortable, please get out." <laughs> I said that while everyone was already inside. (laughs) Yeah, please leave the premises. (laughs) I was like, honestly, I just thought, well, we're screwed already. (laughs) I mean, damage has been done. Did anyone leave though? (laughs) No, nobody left. (laughs) I mean, why would you want to be that one guy who leaves the crowd? I mean, everyone would know. Like, yeah, he probably Mm -hmm. has COVID. And honestly, if you if you get up and leave, you're still gonna walk through crowds. <laughs> and the thing is that people fly in from all over the world to sit in his satsang in Rishikesh because it only happens once a year. Right, right. Oh my god. I mean, how ironic talking about this now after what just happened in India. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty That's much it. True. Yeah, all right. You've been spared. Like, yeah, you have been. Like, I'm, you've never tested positive. Never. You? Oh my god. Never. I'm such a bad example. I like. I'm such a. I wear my face mask everywhere, but I'm such a bad example. Yeah. <laughs> but I. This is my disclaimer for all your all of your listeners. I live with my fiance alone with nobody inside with comorbidities or old age okay <laughs> so, so if it's just you sick, at risk yeah you and your fiance, yeah. fiance at risk yeah no other exactly <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've been traveling I'm a really... lot during the pandemic which actually sur- surprised oh, yeah. me when Josa told me about it like oh yeah she's in Iraq right now but I think she's going to the US but she's also gonna make a stop in Turkey I'm like what the hell like in which part of the world is there no COVID <laughs> like <laughs> okay so this is a hack so if you don't if you download Skyscanner or Qatar Airways ah uh, yes <laughs> You yes. can find out the travel restrictions in every single country. So, you know, as a Filipino who is so used to researching travel restrictions because our our passport is limited, not very good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just one extra step. Yeah, you know, people keep saying like traveling is so hard now. I'm like, why? Why is it so hard? Because you have to wear a mask, or because you have to take a test. Like so, Maldives, for example, doesn't require a Filipino visa. Okay, so let me get this straight. Uh, from Iraq, you went to Maldives, and that's when Joss sort of introduced us. Right now, this conversation is happening while you're in Chicago. 
I right? Yeah. And as we're gonna end this interview, you would be taking the next flight to where? Um, to Hawaii. To Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! I'm 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 personally like amazed at how how you just managed to pull this this thing off. I mean, I'd hate to call it a thing because it's not the thing. It's not just um, it's not the travel lust for you it's it's your life like this this has been you for three years and how Mm -hmm. has it been like how has the nomad status been like what's that what does that even mean like i guess to you Mm, i think it's just a a thirst to be in a different place it's not necessarily like a wish to be to have an adventure my 20-year-old self would say, it's all about the adventure. But, you know, my Pita 30-something self tells me that I just want to be in a different place, eating different food, and being around good people. You did talk about, like, basically having no apartment in Manila and just living off your suitcase. I mean, you travel a lot, so you must travel light. No. <laughs> No. Uh, well, that's even more interesting. You bring April everywhere you go. So on my first flight to Tajikistan, you know, like I already had it in my head. Like I am going to give up a lot of comforts and traveling is not going to be as easy from there because it's more expensive. Like they don't have as many flight routes and generally flights. So to get it out of my system, <laughs> Um, I I went backpacking around Europe for a month. Now, here's the thing. I was backpacking, not really backpacking, but like I was moving around with, with two big suitcases in the middle of winter. Two big suitcases and two big backpacks. <laughs> <laughs> to get it out of your system. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the people at the hostel would would always say, oh, you're the girl with all the bags. It it wasn't light, but you did have to reduce it to like just your bare necessities, like just the essentials, right? So and and what is it that you apart from clothes, <laughs> what is it that you had to mm-hmm. bring around? Well, one an entire bag is dedicated just for gadgets. You know, it's right. like the mobile the mobile office, like the laptop, the tablet, the phones the cameras so like for me so if you look at my instagram i don't really post that much photos but like i i do take a lot of photos and videos everywhere that i go sometimes like i don't even bother editing it and posting it anywhere it's just that like i i value so much the recording of memories so i always have to have a bag with at least three cameras like so that's my like travel must have like i go everywhere with that one backpack and then everything else is disposable <laughs> it's just that you need to have clothes for different different occasions different at what before i would even bring like snorkeling gear until my fiance was like there's no place for you to snorkel in the desert <laughs> leave it <laughs> leave it where but where would you leave it? Like, where is, where is the, oh. where is your storage unit? <laughs> we give it away. Every time we move, 
if we if we accumulate things, we give it away. Like any anything that doesn't fit into the bag. In Tajikistan, for example, because we were there for 10 months, uh, we had so much. And <laughs> my last trip, that last trip out of Manila, I got so much stuff. In fact, I brought like 26 cans of Delhi Mundo. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my, you missed home so much. <laughs> so you can imagine, like I, I had a lot of stuff that I brought that I thought that I would need. And then, you know, you look at all this stuff and then you realize like other people need it as well. All this stuff that we we left behind in Tajikistan, we gave it to the deminers from my fiance's um, organization that he works for. So, because the operations there are on the, the Afghanistan side, they don't get a lot of resources. Everything that had sleeves, I gave to them. Yoga mats, because yoga mats were were heavy. Because at the end of the day, like you accumulate stuff, but like, do you actually need them, or can you replace them along the way? Right? Yeah, or I mean, you can just buy it again. Like, who knows? You might go back yeah. to India and get more yoga mats, but. I love that mm-hmm. that's what you meant by disposable. Like, I wouldn't want, I don't want to say you don't have an attachment to things. That's horrible. But it's pretty much that, I guess. That you don't have that sort of um, sentimentality when it comes to these things. Because you understand fully well that the adventure is not to accumulate stuff. Mm-hmm. But to, as Thank you said, you. accumulate memories. Which is why yeah. of all the things you had in your luggage and your backpacks it's that backpack with the cameras that mattered so much Mm -hmm. to you it's It's the only way that makes sense for me at least this scarf has been with me for a long time (laughs) yeah i think i've had it for more than a decade it was a pasalubong from my sister when she went she went somewhere i think she went to thailand so my sister was um from from our football years <laughs> my my family like we we would train with the national team and my sister would um would compete with the national team so whenever she would go somewhere she would have pasalubong so you know like it's a very filipino thing you always yeah. want want to bring pasalubong if i do it I, i'm just gonna be broke <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, because you have to bring everyone pasalubong. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm super thankful that she brought she brought me pasalubong because I don't bring pasalubong. <laughs> so and this scarf is like a wonderful scarf that is thick. It will warm you no matter what the temperatures, but it's light as well. <sighs> and out of everything. Take everything away, just not this scarf. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's interesting. I mean, it's it's fine to have like the knickknacks that that you'll always want to keep as a souvenir because like it, you've gone through so much with something, and as for as long as it still holds like integrity in its actual use and purpose, I think it's fine to keep it. <laughs> yeah. Like, but then like you know if it's if it's a random coaster, like I used to collect coasters, uh-huh. <laughs> like the beer <laughs> coasters. 
until I had so much, so many that I didn't even know what I was going to do with it. So I ended up throwing it away after accumulating it for about five years. And especially like if you're moving around a lot, good luck with that, right? I'm thinking about it now. Like if I had to move to to like Tajikistan tomorrow, what do I do with my books? Adjusting to the place is one thing, but adjusting to the people. Like, did you ever have a hard time? Yeah. Well, I think my main concern was um, my safety as a woman growing up from a Catholic Christian background. Yeah, other religions get a bad rep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I really thought that I would have to cover up and stuff. So I bought like all these Muslim, (laughs) Muslim friendly shirts. That was my main concern because like I didn't want to I didn't want to offend anybody until they just said, you know, you don't really have to try to not offend us. You're foreign. We don't really care. Our rules don't apply. Our mm. rules don't apply to you. And so once I let that guard down and kind of just like I decided to be myself. It, it became easier for me to interact with people because that they they also start to wonder like who am I and like why am I dressed the way I am why do I do certain things so it's the same it was the same questions that I would ask about them they were asking about me and so like there becomes like a very nice cultural ex- exchange at the same time like I'm just gonna think of like random like slam book questions here but Mm-hmm. Where did you find the kindest people? Hmm. Oh, that's hard. So not very slam booky, but yeah. <laughs> in the Philippines, I would say Sikihor. In the in the world, Japan. Because okay, mm-hmm. so in Japan, we were looking for our train to get to our flight coming from Kyoto. And the thing is, with those trains, you have to enter the right train yeah. car right yeah <laughs> they separate mid-journey and we asked a random stranger like um if this was the right car to get to the airport and he couldn't speak english but he understood what we were what we were saying he just didn't express himself so five minutes later he comes back up to us like we're waiting we're waiting on the platform Five minutes later, he comes back to us and just goes, this guy will talk to you. And then like points at another guy. And this guy tells us that he was, for the past five minutes, looking for, an, for a person that could speak English so that he could tell us that this car would not make it to the airport. So went like, through all wow. that trouble. Yeah. That's very in line with like what I what I experienced in in Sikihor because like I was doing a motorcycling trip with my fiance and and some friends of ours from Germany we drove up into the into the middle of the island where mm-hmm. there's nothing like there aren't going to be any stops but there are some houses along the way now the problem was like one of the motorcycles broke down and it was going to take a while for 
for the the motorcycle rental person to get there to fix it or to exchange it. So it got it got super dark and we didn't have food with us. We didn't have food and water. And so my fiance, he drove up the road looking for the next house that he could find to buy whatever food he could find from them. And you know, he bought a few things. But then he came back with so much more. We were like, where did you find this? <laughs> so we eat. Everything's good. Um, the motorcycle is exchanged. And we set up to go back to where we came from. So we passed by the house to say thank you and like offer to pay them a little bit more money. Or buy some more things, you know, just to make yeah, up the cost just, for them. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They wouldn't accept like anything and then they came out with a whole platter of ansit of bukopanda and all sorts of things you know they made a freaking fiesta for us because they thought maybe if you stop by you'll be so you'll be you'll still be hungry pinagluto pa kayo oh oh grab okay. wow this would never happen anywhere else in the world Siguro, um, mm-hmm. just to indulge you, best place to eat. <laughs> Your questions are hard. Th- th- that's difficult. <laughs> Bye, guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you've traveled out, out, outside the Philippines. I have, right? yeah. Have you noticed how in most other countries, they don't have like a huge variety of cuisines available? Well, yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, if you, like, after a couple of days, you kind of see a pattern in the dishes yeah, that they, like, yeah. You get tired of the food, right? Right. Like, no matter yeah. how much you were looking forward to it, after a few days eating the same things, you start <laughs> wondering, like, what else is there to life? <laughs> yeah, or, like, so, you start looking for tinola for some reason. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm the type of person that likes to eat Japanese one day, Korean another day, Italian another day, or Indian another day. Like, you know, I love the variety. And so that's the hard thing about about traveling for me when it comes to food, because I travel to eat the food. (laughs) But I get so tired of it right away. In the Philippines, in Manila, you can get like quality food in different cuisines, and it's cheap. I still believe that Manila is like one of the best foodie places ever if you're looking for variety. All right, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Siguro, um, I guess for the people listening like and staring at their passports right now, I guess uh, all the places you've been to, what's the most, like given the pandemic and given the situation and how everyone is just grappling with all of this stress, like where mm-hmm. would you go to? Or where would you go back to if you just mm. wanted to, like, I don't know, rejuvenate or I, something? I really, really want to go to Egypt. So you haven't I, gone to Egypt? No. It's on the list, definitely. It's just a bit hard to get there right now because visa processing yeah. needs to be done. But the place that I keep going back to, regardless of everything, is um, is Turkey. I always go back to Istanbul. 
food's amazing. History is everywhere. The people are are fantastic. Like so hospitable, so sharing. You know, like they're very warm. They they love to have people around. And you know, this whole have a cup of tea and have hookah in the midday anywhere all the time. You know, that's my kind of thing. <laughs> And the thing is, like now with the pandemic, it's sorry to say this, but like it's one of the best times to go there because then it's not crowded. Oh my god! And I love that you said Turkey. You know, what? like I've—that's the dream place for me. Really? I've always wanted to go to Turkey, only because like I had this professor in UP who said that Turkey's great because of the architecture and how it just seems to change a lot, and yet keep a lot of itself as well because it's gone through Christianity and then it's gone through Islam and now it's whatever mm-hmm. was left. Like every time they had to go through that changes, they had to adopt to it, but then they made it their own as well. So if mm-hmm. you want a place that's rich in culture, she's like, yeah, just go to Turkey. Me, mm-hmm. I've been meaning to go there and actually I want to go there with my my grandmother. Because she said, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, Turkey's like the best. But we're in Turkey. Istanbul <laughs> is my favorite city in the world, hands down. Always stay near the near Istiklal Street. That's the main street where they have a lot of the bars and, and the restaurants and like little boutiques and galleries. There's always something to see there. They have a lot of buskers just along the street creating music and art. And that's super beautiful, especially like when you're eating like, a scoop of dandurma, the Turkish ice cream. And then from there, it's so nice. Like, it's my favorite walk. Like, this is my favorite walk. Going from the end of the Stiklal down, like, through, like, very wind, crooked paths and down to a staircase that leads you to the bridge, the bridge that goes over the Bosphorus. So first, you get to the spice, the spice market area. And then you get to Sultanimet, where you have the, the Hagia Sophia and the Blue Mosque. The spice market is the place, best place to quite literally get your spices, cheese, and beef sausage. I love to get my coffee there. So Turkish coffee is its own, own thing. It's like the, the beans are ground to a powdery finish. Like it's the finest that you can get it. They're in the spice market. They have Mehmet Effendi where they grind it fresh for you. So from there, um, come back to the bridge, have a nice sandwich or anything really with a view of, of Europe and Asia separated by the Bosphorus. Enjoy the sunset by the Galata Tower. I love to watch the sunset with the light on the Galata Tower. I think that's one of my favorite sites. Just what, because it looked, the Galata Tower is what Rapunzel's Tower looks like. It's very whimsical. So you look at it, you take, you take whatever photos you want of it with a golden light of the, of the sunset. But then you turn around and then what you see is the Bosphorus with the seagulls and the, the ships just passing through very slowly. Until the day ends and then the night starts and the hustle and bustle starts waiting down in some places. 
and then some places start to open up and then you hear the the afternoon um, prayer coming from the mosques and it's just all so very musical it's like you're just watching everything unfold in a movie but you're there yeah that's a that's my perfect day I think I'm gonna be able to sleep tonight uh, maybe just thinking about that but yeah <laughs> so pretty much cured my insomnia uh, okay awesome <laughs> Tigureta, this one's a this might be a tough question so how do you budget these things isn't that like we started with um people are working to earn and to save mm-hmm. and then to travel but then it never seems enough okay so look it's when you budget your your life right you have your your fixed costs your rent electricity and phone bills that's pretty much like just the basic stuff then you have your insurance of course let's be responsible human beings and pay for insurance so you have your monthly right now you have to remember if you're at home you're still spending money on your rent your your bills and your and your food and your transportation and then maybe you're going to go out a few times a month have a drink watch a movie do something funny i don't know just indulge right So when you travel, when you travel and go somewhere or and stay somewhere for a long time, your rent becomes your accommodation cost, your transportation cost is your commuting cost, your food is the same cost, and your indulgence becomes your activities cost. It's pretty much the same thing. Ah, diba? It's doable. Like, <laughs> diba? The math works out. <laughs> It does. I mean, if you're lucky enough to like live at home with your parents, then you're even more predisposed to mm-hmm. to this kind of lifestyle, right? The big trigger is really booking your flights, I, I suppose. But the great thing about the pandemic is that <laughs> it made flights more flexible. Do your own research. You can book your flights and have it as as a a rebookable flight or an open ticket for until when you're ready so that's the that's one of the great things i mean even sabu pacific did their 99 peso vouchers for their for their anniversary to make it easy for, for people to travel and one other thing is ano ngayon ko na isip like people are always going to say na it's not the time for it and The usual mm-hmm. excuses are, I mean, like, Turkey's not going anywhere. It's just gonna be there. Mm-hmm. But is there ever a perfect time to travel? Like, does that mm-hmm. exist? Or is that just something we used to rationalize not buying a ticket? Yeah, well, see, here's the thing. When you're young, your threshold for the uncomfortable is higher, right? So I always encourage people to, to travel where, while they're young. And while their fixed costs are are less, you you really have to wonder like don't people don't people want more? Some people just don't, and some people like they really have like a hard time to just afford things in general, which I totally respect. And the thing is that this is one of my frustrations about the Philippines. It's that talent is underpaid. But also, 
sometimes like I feel like the people are paid properly, but the problem is that things cost more because people are earning more in general. Like the 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 middle class is bigger now. How difficult was it? You, you did have your own travel agency here before mm-hmm. you decided to work remotely forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How difficult was that? To transition? Yeah, to transition. Or was it like was it more difficult in your head? It was it's always more difficult in your head until you actually do something. So I'm I'm like the master procrastinator of life. <laughs> <laughs> Overthinking something to the point of procrastination and not actually doing doing something. Yeah, that's me. So for me, sometimes like when I really feel like so indecisive about something, I will flat out flip a coin and do something. So my my friend that I'm staying here in Chicago with, we have a thing. Like if we can't decide on something because like we have opposing ideas of what to do next, we flat out play Posoidos for it. <laughs> Down, we, we let the cards make our decisions for us. Yeah, leave it to chance. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like it could be about like ordering another pizza <laughs> or staying another night in, in the at the beach or getting another bucket of beer. <laughs> Sometimes like you just have to let go. You know the those satsangs like the the satsang in Rishikesh that I was talking about, like where people come to ask questions to the guru and the guru answers. Everybody had the same question. Like what is how do I live better? And every time that I went, there would be at least like one or two people that would ask that same question maybe in different words and the answer is always the same it's that you let go you let go of control you let go of the idea of control and you just examine what's happening and if you can do that then you can live more freely because you're putting aside the time and energy for yourself to just be where you are. If you spend your waking hour like thinking about what is what was it I needed to do? Do I have to get ABC done? And there's always going to be so much stuff to do <laughs> for the rest of your life. It's never it's a it's a to-do list that never gets shorter. They said that the answer is always in your heart. Your heart is the self and the self knows what's best for it. And even though our, our conscious mind might not always comprehend it, you just have to let go and let things take its course, go with the flow. At some point, you get tired of trying to control every detail of your life, but you just let things happen to you. And then you watch it. You watch it happening and you just marvel at like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's very interesting, I think. Maybe to someone who hasn't listened to this podcast or wasn't there for the conversation, to hear that you've lived in seven countries in three years, in the span of three years, and they would think now, oh, maybe she's just flipping coins every time. But I'm pretty sure you've put a lot of thought into these things and you didn't just live life precariously. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. Like it could still happen. Oh, yeah. And just like hearing about how you've, well, your life the past three years and how like everyone here in Manila has just been building a life. 
It's like, I don't see how yours is any different. You're just, you're also mm-hmm. building a life. Like, that's what the, they always say, right? You're, I'm, I can't leave right now because I'm building a life and I'm trying to settle. Mm-hmm. But then, what if settling is not in a, in just one place? What if it's everywhere, mm-hmm. I guess? Or in your case, it's where your fiancé has a job. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why couldn't that count as settling? And you're wrong. Just people keep talking about I'm building a life as if it's there's an end to it. Right. Like, when I have this, I'll be happy. But when you get something, you just want something else. That's the human condition. That's just the way it is. And, I mean, life takes on different forms. And, like, I love I love talking to people with lives that are vastly different from mine. But I also, like, I, I also enjoy talking to people with very similar lives to mine. And when you, when you grow up reading books about, about countries, about people in different places, especially like when you go through through history classes, you know, and you get to know all these different stories. Like it's so hard to not want to live one for yourself. Like I've all, I've I've always dreamt of that, like of living my own story that maybe someday I'll I'll be able to tell as well. Well, you're helping me tell it now, so thanks. <laughs> well, you're doing a really good job at telling it. Like, I don't even have to ask you anything. <laughs> no, but yeah, that's really great. I guess, yeah. So I guess life starts mm. when you decide it to. Or maybe it yeah. has started. You just, you're just creating a lot of conditions not to continue. <laughs> or, yeah, thank you for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Oh, and I do hope na, I do hope you start your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, I will ask you for advice if and when that ever happens. Oh, definitely. <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed that episode with April promise to have her back soon to talk more about her recent adventures and my own misadventures but of course you'll only get notified of that episode if you follow nothing good happens at 3am where you listen to podcasts now if like april you're thinking of creating your own podcast and you don't know where to start just message me at 3am pod on instagram i've been working as a producer for television and podcasts so This is kind of my thing, and I'd love to help you out. The links are in the description of this podcast. So thanks again for listening, and try to get some rest.